Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm your host, Jim Daduchu. And what we do on this podcast is we take a piece of pop culture, it could be TV show, could be a movie, could be a piece of music even, and we reveal how either deliberately or sometimes subconsciously it's influenced by history. Because, hey, everything is influenced by history. That's the way it goes. And so this time round, you've probably seen a rather unusual name. Look, I've, I've done stuff on things like Lord of the Rings. One ring. Scooby-Doo or ABBA. You know, the big names through pop culture and then there's slinkies and snake bombs. What's that exactly? Well, I can answer that because this is the name of my brand new book that has just come out. By the time you are listening to this, it is available. And because it's published through Amberley Publishing, actually you can get it very slightly cheaper if you go to Amberley Publishing on, online, just do a search there. You know, if you want to use Amazon, feel free to do that. But because it's properly published, you can walk into an actual bookshop and if they don't have a copy, you could say, look, Jem Daduchu, Slinky and Snape Bombs, I want to get a copy. Then they'll be able to order it for you. But yes, I'm going to talk about it because I'm very proud of it. It's my 13th book. And so I'm going to say how in some ways it's a sequel and in other ways it's a distillation of why I'm even doing this podcast. So sound interesting? Then please come on down and listen to some more. So I don't know if you've listened to this story before. I know I've mentioned it in the past, but look, I've always loved history. When I was a teeny tiny kid in school, I remember the Lady Bird Book of History. And it was very simple. Basically on one page, on the left-hand page, there was a, a really exciting color, dynamic, energized image of this period or moment of history. And then on the right hand side, there was one page of very simple text to explain what this thing was. And I remember, for example, the page on the Crusades. And I remember the page on World War One. And the World War One example, they painted a British tank rolling past some ruins very exciting image and the paintings not photographs I should emphasize but I always remember as a kid I got the scale of the tank wrong I thought it was 
basically the size of a football pitch or something like that that you know almost like a, a little town lived in there sort of further fired off my little childlike synapses to i want to learn more about this stuff so i've always loved history i think the problem if you like and, and this is when i do talks on history i quite often get the feedback i really wish you would be my history teacher Thank you very much for that. I'm going to say that the two things in response to that is one, the issue might be the national curriculum. You know, the government dictates certain things that need to be talked about, which means very quickly, all this history kind of gets distilled into a few moments that just get repeated over and over again. Want to learn about the Tudors? Tudors pop up quite a lot. And, you know, admittedly, something like Henry VIII. I'm Henry VIII, I am. And being part of the Reformation, the Church of England, very, very important. In, in America, it'll be... There's actually a relatively quick jump between things like the Revolution and the Civil War. I'm not saying that nothing is mentioned in between, but it's, it's interesting how many of the presidents, if you like, after Washington, before Abraham Lincoln, get completely forgotten. James Polk, anyone? Did you know that was a president? Martin Van Buren? These people are, in theory, as important as someone like... Donald Trump or Barack Obama, etc. So, yeah, weirdly, there are always these kind of ghettos in history, and then there's these areas of real concentration, undeniably something like the US Civil War or the foundation of the Church of England and the dissolution of the monasteries in, in England. These are important moments that should be discussed, for example. But yes, the curriculum can be quite often a bit dry. Because as I say nowadays, you can't not like history. Now, I get it if you don't like military history or royal history or political history, but there is a history of hip hop. There's a history of fashion. Basically, whatever you like in life, there is a history. Sometimes it goes back 100 years. Sometimes it goes back 2000 years. So have a look into it. See why what you're playing around with right now why did, did that exist? Because it's on the shoulders of all these other people stretching back in time. Like I say, exactly how far back depends on what the topic is. So I've always been a fan of that. Then the other thing I say about the, you know, I wish you'd been a teacher is, I'm, look, I'm really enthusiastic. This is why I do the podcast, for example. I love talking about this stuff. I love sharing my points of views. And I am, hopefully you would agree, I'm careful when I say this is my point of view, as opposed to this is undisputed fact. Views and facts are not the same thing. Something that social media is incredibly bad with. So that's if you like the other point, I, you know, I just, I just love talking about this stuff. But going through my career, if you like, in history is when you get to 16 in England, you do the GCSEs. And I am one of the few people who didn't do a history GCSE. I did a medieval history GCSE. Ooh. Strangely enough, I did exactly the same thing at A-level. And then I went to university and I studied archaeology and medieval history. So it's everything together that I really, really loved. But at the end of that, I applied and successfully got the opportunity to do a master's. But by then I was fed up of eating beans on toast. I was fed up of living in this little sort of squat of a place in Cardiff. And it's like, I think I'm going to get a real job. And then everything went quiet in my history for about 20 years. And the irony is, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, because without social media, 
I think I'd probably still be sitting there reading history books because that's what I did when I left university. And, and suddenly I had a bit more freedom because I realized, for example, at one point, I don't really know much about Indian history. So I got a book, a pretty fat book, taking you from the Harappans all the way up to the end of the Raj, the British Imperial India, if you like. So that's 4,000 years, give or take. A lot of history to be gone into there. It was very difficult for me because there were no points of, of reference. If I'm doing something like the Viking era in England, I might have these rather unusual Scandinavian names, but then they are amassing around somewhere like, I don't know, Oxford. And okay, I know where Oxford is and I know how to say and pronounce Oxford. In Indian history, there were all these people where I didn't necessarily know how to pronounce their names. I always was referencing the map, but hey, I learnt a lot. So yeah, once I left formal education, I could follow areas that I was, was interested in. Notoriously, I, again, I tell this story a lot. In my first year at university, I had to do a bit of modern history. So I did a course on World War I. And there were three lectures on the causes of World War I. And there were four lectures on the effects and aftermath of World War I. And there was one lesson on World War I. And seeing that the course was called World War I A History, I'm going to say that's misadvertising. And look, obviously, you've got to take into account the causes and the effects of any event in history. That's important. But I'm going to say that the, and, and this is the problem with a lot of modernist history, that the exciting bits, or what I consider the exciting bits, are glossed over. The lecturer actually said, you know, does anybody really want to talk about World War One and all those explosions and devastation? And it's sort of like, well, yeah, that's kind of what I'm here for. I'd like to know about the evolution of the tank, for example, going back to my, my childhood, or the fact that it wasn't all on the Western Front. That's a misnomer. There were huge bloody fights on the Eastern Front. The Brasilioff Offensive, for example, where the Russian Empire was attacking Austro-Hungary and in the Middle East, you know, according to most Western views of World War One, the only thing the Ottoman Empire did was successfully defend the Dardanelles. But there are lots of other interesting moments. And if you want to understand modern day Middle Eastern politics, you need to understand World War One and the Ottoman Empire, for example. Anyway, I, I digress. So the point is, yes, after university, I could dive into these things. But I seem to remember reading perhaps my seventh or eighth book on World War II. And, and interestingly, when you get to the big things like World War I, World War II, or the American Civil War, there are actually surprisingly few books on all of it because it's a pretty broad subject. And, and I quite like the, the broad subject. So I've written The Napoleonic Wars in 100 Facts because I figure there aren't many small books that sort of are an introduction to Napoleon and Duke of Wellington and all this kind of stuff, okay? But you can literally buy a 400-page book on just the Battle of Waterloo. It is my firm belief that God hates the British. He will intervene miraculously and send us a glorious victory on this now, you've really got to know your stuff to go into that level of detail on basically the climactic battle of 25 years of history. And it's the same thing with 
World War II. There's Anthony Beevor's amazing book on Stalingrad, but it's just only on Stalingrad. Now, that is the biggest battle in global history and is very, very important in terms of understanding World War II and sort of like German-Soviet relations, etc., etc. It's a remarkable book. I would recommend it. But after reading seven or eight books all on the same topic in various levels of detail, it's like, why, why am I reading another book on World War II? It's... You know, I kind of know who wins. I started going into more unusual stuff. As I mentioned, you know, India, for example. But I discovered the Thirty Years' War, 1618 to 1648. An incredibly important event in European history that is never taught at school and is never really mentioned. It's, it's, it's slipped out of the consciousness of people. You know, if you're walking down the street, and this is absolutely dependent on whichever country you're in. So I will use Britain, for example. Well, let's stick to England, shall we? Because I haven't always been unified. And I say... Give me names of important events in, in English history. Quite often they'll sort of like scratch their heads. I'm sure there'll be a few idiots who'll say two world wars and a World Cup, mate, which is pretty insulting. But, you know, so they'll probably mention the world wars. I'm going to say they are likely to mention something to do with Napoleon. It might all be horribly mangled. They'll probably also mention Henry VIII. I'm Henry VIII. And maybe, I mean, it used to be the most famous date in English history, 1066, the Battle of Hastings. But I'm going to say that that seems to have faded out of, of the consciousness of people, really. But that's about it. I guess they will, you know, if you really push them, they will, will say, uh, Roman Britain was a thing? Boudicca? Bodicea? Yeah, fine. So, you know, those are like five things over 2,000 years. Clearly, lots of other things happened in that time. And so I started reading on all the bits that people don't talk about. And then in those books, I realized that they would have these really interesting footnotes or just bare references to things so weird and unbelievable that it's sort of like, oh, I need to do more research on that. And that is how my Facebook page called History Gems with a G was launched and born, if you like. And that's now, I'm going to say, pushing nine years old. And basically, if, hey, if you want to go onto Facebook and, and type in History Gems, you can find it. It's History Space Gems with a G. And basically five days a week, I post little fun articles about, hey, did you know about this fact? Did you know about that fact? I'll come back to that in a moment because as I was starting to sort of build up an audience on social media, I got a number of people saying, you should really write a, a book. So my very, very first book was The Busy Person's Guide to British History, taking you from the Stone Age up to the end of World War II. And Again, I spent more time talking about the bits you don't know about. For example, Henry III, King of England. Know anything about him? He ruled for 50 years. You should really know something about that, as opposed to the much more famous Henry V, who barely ruled for 10 years, and Henry VIII, who ruled for about 20 years. I mean, this, this guy, you stack up a bunch of Henrys and he lived longer and ruled longer than them. But he's never really mentioned, which is kind of interesting to me. So yeah, and I showed that to a, a number of publishers and they turned around and all said, ah, you can't do a generalist book unless you are a big name in history, which obviously you're not, Jem, fair enough, or you're a celebrity. So like George Clooney's big book of American history would sell, 
But Jem Daduchu's big book of American history would not sell because who's Jem? Whereas at least with George, it's all like, come with me on a journey as I learn and you too will learn about all these things that were happening. So anyway, I'm just using that as an example. So I found that really interesting. But one company said, look, what did you specialize at at university? Or what's your specialist subject? I went to the Crusades. And they said, okay, write on the Crusades. So I did. And that particular company came back with it and went, "Eh, it's just not our thing. Sorry. But I ended up speaking to Ambly Publishing. They went, oh, that looks good. And so it was, things were born with me and Ambly. And I guess eight years later, I'm still working with Ambly. Sometimes they come to me with ideas. Sometimes I come to them with ideas. 75% of the time, they probably turn into a thing. There's a slight frustration at the moment because I'm talking about my 13th book, which should have come out last year. It was delayed due to COVID. So I've got another book coming out with Amberley at the end of this year, 2021. That's ridiculous amount of books coming out. So I will technically have had three books coming out in 2021, but that's because one of them was going to come out last year. And unfortunately, the one that's coming out towards the end of the year there was a miscommunication on the contract and so I put my heart and soul into it and I think it's going to be I'm co-writing it with this other individual I think it's probably going to be the most successful book I've ever basically written and unfortunately I'm a ghostwriter so I can't go into what it is or or who it's about etc but yeah it's a this is the one that's probably going to get onto the top 10 bestsellers list you know as we get towards Christmas if anything if anything I've done will it'll be that one. And unfortunately, I'm the silent partner on that. I mean, I get paid. If I'd known it was just like that, it pro- I probably wouldn't have been involved in the project. But in the end, I'm very proud of what's been produced. I digress. Let's talk about the one that does have my name on the front cover, Slinkies and Snake Bob. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Going back to my Facebook page, week after week, I was churning out all this basically free. Obviously, that's the thing about Facebook. You want to go on and have a look? You want to look at back examples of editorial that I've written? It's all sitting there. Go have a look now. Have fun. Please click subscribe. Be nice on it. It's really, I've got some regulars that say lovely things. The annoying thing is sometimes when it gets a bit viral, get all these people who've never been on the page before going, uh, I disagree, or uh, my opinion's this, or uh, aliens, or whatever. It's like, this is a history page. Okay, chill out. Never mind. I move on. But it turned into a conversation with Ambly saying, hang on, why don't I because these are sort of lots of weird and wonderful facts about history. Why don't I compile them into a book, properly edit them? By the way, on Facebook, I just slap it out there. I've just done some research. It's just about in English. Off it goes. When people start turning around going, mm, you should have edited that properly. It's like, yeah, buy one of my books. They'd be all being edited properly. Have at it, okay? But don't start, you know, you get what you pay for. This is a free page. I'm sharing my stuff. And pretty much any time anybody said that, I went, excellent. Uh, you know, so when can you help me start editing this? And they all backed down at that moment. It's like, yeah, OK, well, put your money where your mouth is then. Why don't you? So I did that. I pulled together over 150 of these weird and wonderful facts. They're, they're completely unrelated. We might bounce from the Aztecs to World War II to, I don't know, the Tudor era to uh, the Sengoku era in Japan. So it's all around the world, all time zones, eras of history, I should say. And it became known as Forgotten History. And it did pretty well. It was well received. People really liked it. And so fast forwarding a few years later, there was the question about, hey, do you, why do, have you got enough material to do another one of those? And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I've got enough material to do two more of those. Absolutely can get stuck in. So we're doing Forgotten History 2. And they went, no, no, no. For God's sake, don't give it a sequel name because you always sell less than the first one. People feel that they, they don't know. They, they feel like they need to have read the first one to have read the second one. So don't do that. Call it something completely different. And that is what Slinkies and Snake Bombs is. Now, funnily enough, that name is to do with two of the facts. Very quickly, there's an interesting and war-orientated history round the toy, the Slinky, you know, that spring that goes downstairs. Like walks downstairs, a loner in pairs, and makes a slinkity sound. A spring, a spring, a marvelous thing, everyone knows it's Slinky. Yeah, that's a real thing. World War II and Vietnam have influences on the Slinky, Honestly, read the book to find out more. And Snake Bombs goes way back. You know, Hannibal, guy with the elephants, didn't like Rome very much. Well, for a time, he actually was an admiral and he was hopelessly outnumbered. This battle clearly wasn't going to go his way. So what he did is he got his sailors to gather up from the, the land baskets and pots full of poisonous snakes. And these were thrown onto the flagship of the enemy ship. And suddenly they got to deal with all the poisonous snakes as well as everything else and turned out to be a very effective weapon. So Samuel Jackson did snakes on a plane. I have had it with these snakes on this plane. Hannibal did snakes on a ship. So those are just two facts. Again, there's sort of like more than 150 of these facts, again, through lots of different eras. And what I'm particularly proud of 
And this is because it was my sister. Shout out to my sister here. She made a comment years ago on my Facebook page going, Jem, the battles are interesting. The architecture's interesting. This king or emperor's interesting. Where are the women? And absolutely right. And so therefore I made sure that every week, at least once, I would do an article on a woman. And I also realized pretty quickly that there are the standards, okay? Joan of Arc. I've already mentioned Boudicca. Florence Nightingale, okay? You know, there are just a few names of women that are just always rotated again and go, oh, here's important women from history. Well, why not do different ones, okay? So none of those women are in this, but there are loads of other women. And I, I thought I'd just sort of read out a couple. First one's going to be female. Second one's just going to be a weird fact. Hopefully, this sort of eases you a little bit into thinking, I would like to know more. In which case, as I said, you'll be able to get Slinkies and Snake Bonds by Jem Deducci wherever you get books from, okay? So, this one is called The Real Valkyries. <laughs> There was no such thing as a Viking civilization. The word is old Scandinavian for a wanderer. So the people who left the area to trade or explore or pillage were called Vikings. But when they came home again, they reverted to their former names, probably something like Olaf the Fisherman. That is conjecture, of course. However, the term Viking is so widely accepted that I will use it. But you now have a bonus fact that you can use to impress your friends. See, look, it's all dripping with information. In the late 19th century, the archaeologist Hjalmar Stolpe was excavating Viking gravesite BJ581 in Birka, Sweden, where he discovered the remains of a 10th century Viking warrior, complete with armor, weapons, and a board game. It was a fine example of a Viking burial, but nothing special, or so it was thought for more than a 100 years. It wasn't until 2017 that Charlotte Hedenstierna Jönsson from Uppsala University had a hunch that the buried warrior could be female. The shape of the pelvis and the thinness of the jaw are characteristics most commonly found in women than men, but the skeleton was tall for the time, about 5 feet 6 inches or 170 centimeters. There just wasn't enough physical evidence to prove her theory, so a DNA test was conducted and found no evidence of a Y, male, chromosome. In other words, the body was female. And this burial site was that of a Viking shield maiden, a semi-mythical woman described in Viking sagas. While the idea of female Viking warriors had never been completely dismissed, this was the first physical evidence of one. Viking women had far more rights than most other women in the world at the time. They could own land and divorce their husbands. And the sagas comment on female fighters in a more matter-of-fact way than medieval chronicles would have done. It should also be remembered that the Valkyries of Norse legend were female warrior spirits who carried dead male warriors off to Valhalla. One example of a shield maiden, as described in the sagas, occurs in America, where Leif Erikson's pregnant half-sister, Freydis Eriksdotter, fought bare-breasted against the Skraelings. This term seems to be the Old Norse for what we would now call Native Americans. 
The burial showed that the warrior had the finest weapons and armor of the age, so she was either a high-status female or had slain men who were better equipped. The supposed board game may, on reflection, have been a battle map which she used to plan her military engagements. She died in her thirties with no evidence of wounds. The cause could have been any one of myriad diseases that could have left no clues on the skeleton, or of course that unique threat to a woman's health, childbirth. But the fact she was buried with full military honours shows that she was seen as a warrior first and foremost. There we go. So, I hope you enjoyed that one. Now I'm going to do another one completely unrelated. Our human emotional history is fascinating but difficult to research. While the ancient chroniclers record what happened in our past, they rarely report how people were feeling. However, we know that emotions are both universal and timeless. They do not disappear. Fear is fear, and we've been getting scared since we were hominids. Humans today experience the same huge range of emotions that would have been familiar to our ancestors, no matter how far back we go. What's different is that some of the things we felt in the past are no longer identified in the same way. As our understanding has grown, our labels have disappeared, making it seem as if these emotions have been forgotten. They haven't. They've just found new labels. Melancholy is an example of a term that is rarely used today. The feeling is now better understood and it is called depression. Similarly, there's the term shell shock, an emotive reaction that was only recognized in the First World War. There can be no doubt that people have always experienced this, but the idea that terrifying and or traumatic events can cause anxiety and mental impairment after the events are over has been updated to become PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And then there are the very recently invented terms to describe more transitory feelings, such as hangry, angry because you're hungry. Feeling hangry is a real thing because 80% of the body's serotonin, one of the happiness chemicals, is made in the gut. So lack of food means that lack of serotonin means lack of patience, which can result in anger or at least irritability. So although the term is new, people in the past certainly suffered from it. I'm looking at you, Henry VIII. But then we come to acedia. What's that? According to the Christian church, it's a state of restlessness and the inability to work or pray. Acedia was the feeling of lethargy about religious duties and the resulting feeling of guilt this created. Some saw it as a precursor to sloth, one of the seven deadly sins, and it was a genuine cause for concern for monks and nuns in the Middle Ages. Contrary to popular belief, not everybody in this era was fervently religious, but a lack of desire to carry out the Lord's work created genuine anxiety in the religious orders, where, let's be frank, devotion was pretty central to the job description. It would be a fair generalization to say that people who join the clergy and or religious orders today do so because of deeply held beliefs. But 500 years ago, it was one of the few options open to a nobleman's third son, who was surplus to requirements when it came to inheritance. Absence of opportunity was probably not the best motivation for doing the Lord's work, although acedia as a term has passed out of usage. Lack of motivation to tackle a job is still around, but it's probably best not used as an excuse when you call in sick to work. There we go. There's two little examples, plus I talked you through a couple of other examples. There are more than 150 of them. But as I said, there are two things I'm very proud of with this book. One, I'm digging out really unusual moments from history.
And I spend a lot of time, a lot of these sort of like, hey, crazy facts from history books tend to be over the last 500 years, sometimes even less. I start off in prehistoric times, in fact, before human beings. And I spend pages and pages, basically, at, I'm just sort of like looking here, page 56. So, you know, the first 50-odd pages are pre-Julius Caesar, for example. I, I go to places like the Middle East, and I go to places like India. This is all, you know, way before the era of the Romans, for example. So, yeah, that's the first 50 pages, obviously. And what I've done to stop it being just a heady mixture is it's in roughly chronological phasing. So there's the ancient era, then there's the Middle Ages, then there's early modern, then there's modern, modern being the 20th century. So yeah, it's in four distinct phases. Obviously, Middle Ages is a weird way to describe the Mayans. What it does is it helps you a little bit in terms of all these disparate civilizations. It's like, oh right, so the Mayans were actually contemporary with the Vikings, but neither of them were contemporary with the ancient Egyptians because we've already read that bit and that was 50 pages you know, back in the past. So you get a little idea about where people are in terms of time and space to each other. And the other thing, as I said, is I'm really pleased with the amount of women I've uncovered. Uh, phrasing? Yeah, I'm sure there's maybe one or two you're sitting there going, oh yeah, I, I know a bit about her. Great, wonderful. But there was that book about rebellious women for young girls or rebel women for young girls, something like that. And I really didn't like the book. I liked, I loved the idea. I didn't like the book. I remember one female historian going, why do we have to call them rebel women? Almost implying that we can't actually be good at our jobs or we always, always have to push against you know, the structures and, you know, actually you can be very successful within the structures. Okay, so there's a whole conversation to be had there. I can't comment, I'm a guy. But the other thing was each one was written by a different person, which means that the style changed from character to character. And I don't think that that was particularly good. Also, when I was looking through them, it's it's like, again, I, as I said, a lot of these compilations, really, they're all coming from the last 500 years. And some of these women were like, these, these weren't even the most important women in this particular area of history, music, art, whatever it may be. So why were they chosen? That's a really weird one to go. So hopefully as you go through it, it's like, I have never heard of this individual or wow, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I mean, I've got one here called the Italian Joan of Arc, which is all about Catherine of Siena. Do you know anything about her? I try and be as inclusive as possible. You know, Western European history might be the one I'm most familiar with, but that does not mean that I'm only going to talk about white people and European history. There's one here about a black samurai. No, really, that's a real thing. I really do try and jump around as much as possible. And I've heard a few people say about the previous book, Forgotten History. And look, what I would say is if you've read one, and you liked it, get the other one, okay? Because Forgotten History and Slinkies and Snake Bombs are basically the same thing, just lots of different facts in each one. But I've, I, I had a few people say about Forgotten History going, yeah, don't be offended about this, Jen, but I, I quite like it on sitting on the loo, you know, and, you know, while I'm, while I'm spending some time in the little room, it's just something to flick through. And, and I, I absolutely do not take that as an insult. I also had a few people say it's perfect for the commute. Sit down. 
I read four or five of these facts and then my, my stop pops up on the tube and, and, you know, I can get off. So I don't care how you use the book. It's the same thing with my Facebook page. I just hope to sort of distract you for a few minutes where you sit there and go, huh, didn't know that. Or maybe put a little smile on your face going, oh, that, that, that's interesting. That's cool. And if, if I manage to do that on this podcast, on the Facebook page or indeed on in any of my books, mission accomplished. I don't have a huge agenda. I'm not trying to rewrite history. I don't like it when people sort of revise history so much that it doesn't even recognize the original facts anymore. That's unhelpful. But similarly, there are times where it's like, well, people have been believing this lie for 500 years. Let's change that as well. And that's the other thing about the women. Not all of them are noble. Not all of them are gloriously beacons of purity because Women are human beings. There are good ones and bad ones, okay? Some are brave, some are sneaky, some are ingenious. I'm thinking about during World War II, an American female spy, one-legged spy, I'm not making this up, who managed to trick Germans with her cheese making. This is a true story. And if you like, this is the fundamental of why I love history throughout the whole of my life. Because when you read a rip-roaring good story, it's only a story. If you like, this is the difference between dragons and dinosaurs. Dragons are so cool, but they're in your mind. Dinosaurs, you can always reassure yourself, but yeah, 65 million years ago, they were genuinely running around the place and they were weird and bizarre looking. And it's the same thing with history. You couldn't make some of this stuff up. It's so weird, so wonderful. The coincidences are so unbelievable, but that coincidence genuinely did happen. And so these stories, I think, sparkle more than any kind of fiction out there. That's it. Hope you like this one. Hope you get the book. Hey, you know, as always, I'm at Gem Deducci on Twitter or indeed, you know, on Facebook. You know, I've already told you where I am there. So feel free to sort of like drop in, say hello, give me a point of view. Tell me if you got the book. Ask me questions. I would love to hear from you. And as always, hopefully, see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.